here uh, locally at 514 Church and everybody who's watching live around the world, one day, every alt-white supremacist, racist, bigot will kneel before a Middle Eastern Jew who joyfully feasts with every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And today, 514 Church publicly and in every way stands against violence and racism today. As, as followers of Christ, who is the creator of all of life and who made every human in his beautiful image, we believe that every single human being is a precious reflection of their heavenly Father and deserves dignity and care and respect. And as followers of Christ, we will live that way and treat people that way and we will be a message and a movement of hope to live that out. If Jesus Christ is who he says he is, then that means our attention needs to turn and continually turn in everything we do towards the transformation that can take place when people's hearts made of stone and hate are turned into love and acceptance. So with that, I'm gonna ask everyone who believes fully in what I just said to stand up out of your chair. Because when we believe, it should move, and when we move, it should start to make a difference if we're followers of Christ. And so what I'm asking you to do is with this standing and unifying and this moment of solidarity, I'm asking everybody in here to not let this standing be the end, but the beginning of something in your life, a conversation, 
a, a prayer in your heart, maybe something that gets brought to your family, maybe something that gets brought to your work, and maybe a peaceful Christ-like protest. Whatever that is, do it in the name of Jesus and do it in the name of peace. So take a minute and pray with me for our country. Father, we absolutely love you. And because we love you, we love people, all people. And in your name, we stand against racism. The scriptures teach that from one blood, all the nations of the earth came into being. And one blood, your blood, died to save all of us. We are all equally valuable in your sight, and for some reason, we are not equally valuable in each other's sight. Help us to gain the wisdom and the perspective of God as a nation. Help our faith to change the way our eyes and our hearts and our minds work, and prompt us in this room to not allow our privilege and our protection and our place of safety to stop us from doing the bold things that you lay on our heart right now as it relates to building bridges with people groups who think that they are not loved and think that they are not valuable. Help us to be that light in that darkness. Help love to drive out that hate. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. There's so much to talk about as, as it relates to that, and, and we will continue to have that dialogue and that discussion, and I just thank you all for being here. And what we're about to go into does f extremely relate to the events that took place in Virginia yesterday because we're talking about what spiritual depth is and when spiritual depth really gets a hold of us and what we believe maturity is, then man, it's gonna change the way we interact with people. I mean, that's what you need to know. It's gonna change everything. And so stay with me through this series. And we have 400 adults who are in small groups. That's a group of people who meet in people's homes and discuss what I talk about on Sunday. And if you're not, and that's just 400 adults, we have a lot of other students and stuff. If you're not in one of those groups, you you should get into a discussion this week to talk about spiritual maturity. And so what we've done is we have created short-term small groups that meet on Tuesday nights for the next three weeks at our offices, 7 o'clock, so that you can sit down with a leader and have a discussion about what I'm about to talk about. And we think that in those discussions, um, life change takes place, relationships get built, and it is the perfect environment for you to take a step towards building a relationship with people at the church and ultimately growing in your faith the way that we all want to grow in our faith. Um, I hear and have heard over the years of my you know, full-time ministry since 2003 uh, I started into full-time ministry, and I used to hear when I was not the leader of a church, but on a church team, I used to hear this, this phrase, I want to go deeper. And when I would hear I want to go deeper from, from people, I would use that as an opportunity to kind of come alongside them uh, and take a shot at the leader. Because it was like, yeah, you know, I have figured out what depth is, and the leadership here doesn't know what depth is, and so I want to go deeper. And, and that's what it meant in some of those conversations. It meant that wherever the spiritual leaders are leading us, they're not leading up us to depth. And at times, uh, when, uh, when I would do that, it would make me feel good about myself and make me feel like I knew what spiritual depth was and make me feel like the leaders needed to watch out and let me get in the way. And that was all great then until I became the leader and I kept hearing this. 
And then I knew what it meant. And it meant, man, you're not taking us to that deeper spot. And it doesn't always mean that. It doesn't always mean that you're not taking us to this deeper, more mature uh, expression of, of faith. In fact, uh, in churches like ours, and it doesn't just happen in our church, in churches like ours, uh, who say, you know, we really want to try to reach people, we really want to connect with people, we really want to help people, uh, this phrase means something a little different. It means this church isn't deep. This church isn't deep. And, and I've heard that. I've heard people say, you know, I'm leaving the church because it's not deep enough. And then when I talk to them about leaving the church, I've actually had people say to me, you know, you guys don't have the Bible one time a guy came up to me after church, and again, this isn't a personal thing. I take it personally, but I have to deal with that, but I get mad. I guess it is personal. I'm mad. Um, uh, when people come up to me, and I know it just, just doesn't happen here, I've had a guy come up to me and say, you know, you never talked about the Bible one time. In every single sermon I've ever done for seven years, I put the scripture on here and we talk about the scripture, but he just didn't like it because I didn't have, like, the book up here. And so he thought that it didn't happen. And I was like, hey, man, did you see we were in John 4 the whole time? And he's like, you know what, I guess you were. And so in his mind, like, there's a certain expression that means depth. You know, this is how we do it. And maybe that's where you're coming from. The church that you went to, the thing that you saw, whatever it is that you think deep is, and then you look at what we do and you go, that's not deep. Now, some of the things that we do and what we get criticized for are things like I'm talking about. I mean, church is a serious thing, Right? I mean, what we just talked about, I mean, what's happening in, in Virginia, what's happening in our country, that's serious. When you start talking about Jesus dying on a cross and communion and the body and the blood and you start talking about baptism, man, that's serious, right? That's, like a, that, that's a serious thing. And, and we have a whole group of people that exist on our team just to make people laugh. And so if you come in here, people might go, that's fluffy. That's not church because that's not, that's not serious. I get that. I get that criticism. And, and other churches have gotten that criticism. People say Bible light, you know, because we don't go about it the way that they thought. We, we try to look at one passage and zoom in on it and, and teach it and, and just do it simple. And, and for some people, uh, clarity means shallow. <laughs> I'll let that soak in for a second. For some people, simple means shallow. For some people, laughter means you're shallow. You're not, you're not deep. For some people, we, we've heard, you know, you're non-experiential because they, they came from a church where there's this thing they describe about the Holy Spirit, and, and then when the Holy Spirit's really there, then people, like, really raise their hands. And then they, like, really say a lot of different stuff, and that's when it's deep. I mean, there are people that believe that an experience or a feeling is directly connected to depth and spiritual maturity. And so, I, you know, it's like I've had people come up and ask me before, like, is the Holy Spirit in your church? And I'm like, is that a trick question? Because, uh, yeah, he is. He's here. And what that means is that there's an experience that's like the next level. Like I've had people and at churches that look at churches like us and, and, and they go like, you know, when you're experiential and it looks like that, then now you're the varsity letter of spirituality in church. You're in the varsity, you're the varsity. And when you're non-experiential, you're JV. And once you really get there, then you, you know, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be deep. And it's, it's really hard for me sometimes to like listen to this stuff because imagine uh, for a second that I didn't start this church and have this thought. I want to be church light. I would like to be the kind of church that people go to that they only have to go to for first and second grade of their faith, and then when they get here, they can go somewhere else where it's really deep and they can really grow. 
And no churches that are reaching people, I believe, exist to say, we're just for this part and real depth happens somewhere else. In fact, 514 Church and churches like ours and, and my disposition towards my faith is not one of, this is just a beginning spot. I know that it is just a beginning spot for some people and that they have to go do other things and learn other things. And that's totally fine. I get that. But in terms of what we do, we're not saying start here and then end there if you want to grow. 514 Church actually is an expression of a total robust belief of what faith is for me. And so some people, you know, they think this and then they say, I want to go deeper. And I think we disagree about what deep is. Because so do I. Who doesn't want to go deep? Who doesn't want to be deeper? Who doesn't want to grow? Who doesn't want to have depth? Who doesn't want to like experience the fullness of what God says our faith should be? I want that too. And then they come to me and say, I want to go deeper. And I go, what am I doing wrong? Because we disagree on depth. And some people aren't like that. And they, they ask the same question or they ask it a little different. And they come up to me and they say, how do I go deep? And this is different because what that means normally is someone says, I don't know what to do to grow. I want to grow. Show me how to grow. Show me what growth looks like. I want to get deeper into my faith. I want to, and that's usually a new person or someone who didn't grow up in the church or someone who grew up in a church and they didn't feel like they got deep. And so I go, that's great. You know, we love that question. And, and if you're in the room today and, and you're more on this, like, how do I go deep? And you're asking yourself, is this place serious? And you compare us to somewhere else. Like, I want you to be able to, to sit through this series and go, like, there's a direction that this place is taking me. That Joel and the leadership team and, and, and what we're doing, it's based upon what, what spiritual depth should be and what it is and how it's flushed out. And if we can all just agree that, that Joel doesn't decide what deep is and 514 church doesn't, and no church decides what depth is. No leader, no church, no speaker, no book, no book. The only thing that decides what is deep is Jesus. Okay, because if Jesus is God, then he lived this thing out and, and we're supposed to look at him and go, what does he mean to me? What does he mean to me? And listen to what he says, obey him and take his course of action for faith. And so if everyone in here can just go, okay, Jesus decides what's deep. Can you say that? Say, say, Jesus decides what's deep. Say it again. Jesus. If you start there, and then we can align behind that, and we can humbly build our convictions, our thoughts, our conclusions around that, and strive towards that, then I think we can end up in this deep place that God wants us to end up. And what I want to really do is zero in. If Jesus decides what deep is, I want to define what deep is this way. Deep equals faith that reaches the goal set by Jesus. Deep equals a goal that represents a robust faith set by Jesus. So when you think about what deep is, and again, this series, you know, as we're online and, and everybody, you know, is here today, this series is very much for people that call 514 Church home because what has to happen in our church is we all have to. If we're going to grow and reach and have the impact that we're supposed to have, everybody has to align around this right here first. So we all have to agree that whatever Jesus says is deep is where we're going to head. And then if you're looking in for the first time, then you're looking in kind of as a follower or maybe a follower or what do I want to do? And you're going, if that's what it is, I'm either going to do that or I'm not. 
But I believe that in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he defined, displayed, and he gave us a commission for what depth is. And it's found in Matthew 4. Now, I know none of you took your, bought your Bibles today, so it'll be on the screen. Um, Matthew chapter 4. I, pull it out. Look at this on, on, your, on your phone, and it will be on the screen. And I want to set the stage for what spiritual depth is by showing you a little bit more about what Jesus did when he came and visited us and graced this planet with his presence. Jesus, who was born, as you know the story, in Bethlehem, and then he moved to Egypt for a little while, and then he fled, and he ended up in a place called Nazareth. And then when he grew up in Nazareth, he became a carpenter for a little bit, a little bit because his parents were that way, his dad was that way, but ultimately he was so advanced and so wise that he did, in fact, become a rabbi, which means he went through an education system where he was trained and he learned and he studied the scriptures and he started to have interactions with rabbis and teachers that uh, put him in an advanced class of students. And by the time he was 30, he was actually a teacher, a rabbi. And the scripture said about the, the king of kings or the Messiah in the Old Testament that one day he would leave Nazareth and go to this place called Capernaum. And you can read about this in Matthew 4. And what happens in that scripture is a beautiful artistic telling of a place of darkness and the light moving into the darkness. And so this place Galilee, this place Capernaum where Jesus left, he left Nazareth as a rabbi and he moved into this dark place. And what you find in Matthew chapter 4 is there was two things that made it a really dark place. I planned this sermon weeks before the events of this weekend, but I just, I want you to have that as a kind of a backdrop. The people that were in Galilee were primarily fishermen because they were on this sea. And they were raised that way and they had, they had been taught how to fish for many, many years. But they didn't just wake up one day and decide to be uh, fishing people. They decided it because in their culture, if you didn't go and advance through the educational system as a rabbi, then you were shifted over into agriculture and you were shifted over into fishing. And so the men who became fishermen in Galilee were not there by choice. They were there because they weren't good enough to actually be part of the societal elite. So they got moved over to this and so they learned to be fishermen. And they didn't just fish because that was all there was to do. They fished because they had to. Okay, these men lived under Roman oppression. And the, Rome's moved, the Romans moved into that region and they taxed the people whatever they had in their hand. And they looked at the region, they said, there's fish here. And so many of us think of, of the Romans taking their money, but actually the fishermen in Galilee, they had to pay their taxes with fish. And so they would wake up every morning as early as they possibly, possibly could, and they would go fish. And they were under pressure to not just feed themselves and take care of themselves. They were under the pressure of Rome to pay a certain amount of tax with what they catch. Now, can you imagine that type of anxiety when, when you, you don't know where the fish are? And you, you did that before, and we tried that before, and it's not working this time. They lived in that. And it wasn't just that they... They were under oppression and they had to pay the tax. In fact, because of the Roman rule and because of all the different leaders and the tax posts and the people all over the region that were guarding that area, these men were essentially trapped and they weren't allowed to leave. In fact, many, there's many stories in first century uh, Judaism and first century kind of the, the, the Israelite history 
of the people in Galilee racing all day to catch fish and then racing the next moment to a bridge or an outpost or an exit spot from the region. And the people who showed up the most with the most fish were allowed to leave and the other ones weren't. And you weren't even allowed to leave for the, for the duration of your life. You had to leave and then come back. And so basically they're trapped. They're in this trap of Roman oppression where we're on this wheel of catching fish and constantly having to give and pay a tax. It's a horrible, horrible kingdom to live in. It wasn't just the Roman oppression and the rule and that type of thing. It was the religious. You see, these men who were these, these now outcasts because they couldn't become rabbis were now just fishermen. And in the spiritual sense, the leaders of the society didn't treat them like they were worth much. And so rabbis from synagogues would not go to Galilee and teach the people and lead the people and love the people because they were no one's. So now you have a bunch of fishermen who are under Roman oppression. They basically are being told by the religious leaders in the most religious society, arguably that time known to man, they're being told, you're not important, which to those people means I'm not valuable and God doesn't love me. (laughs) So what you have is a picture of people in a trap in a trap, a religious and political trap where they can't get out and they don't feel loved. And then Jesus moves from Nazareth to Galilee. A light moves into the darkness, into the place, into the trap. And Jesus shows up, and you just now just get the weight of the first thing he says after he kind of reads this scroll about moving into the region and light and darkness, and he's the light, and they're in darkness, and it's not just the world, it's like specific, it's like Galilee. The first thing that Jesus says as he's walking, get the picture, right? Walking along the sea is he says this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, to you, and, to you and me, if you grew up in the church, that may sound like, oh, we better start acting right because God's here. But what it actually means is repent, come back to God. I love you still. I love you. I love all these Jewish people. I'm, I'm here for you. Come back to me. I know that they didn't represent me well, but I'm God. Come back. Worship me. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know that kingdom that you're under? That oppressive, brutal kingdom? I have a better one. It's called the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. Whoa. Jesus leaves his comfort zone and moves into this dark place and offers these people a better future with him. And then... As he's walking, and just look at the picture. He's a rabbi under Roman rule. There's, they're there. They're all around. The Romans are just watching, and there's no religious leaders there. And then a rabbi walks, and he starts speaking with authority, and these people are fishing and using their, like, fixing their nets and, and feeling like someone's watching them and feeling like God doesn't love them and feeling like they lost everything that matters to them and everything that's important in their whole history. And then a rabbi walks by and says, I got a new option for you. And then he walks up to a specific group. 
that heard him say these things. And this is what happens. says, as he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now get the context. He just said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is hand. In another version in Luke chapter 5 of the same story, Peter is the one he's talking to, and he casts his net into the sea, and he doesn't catch anything. And then Jesus says, go ahead and throw your net on the other side, and he pulls up so much fish that the boat is going to sink. And then Peter goes, Who are, why are you talking to me? You're obviously God. You obviously have power. You obviously have something better. You obviously are amazing. And he says, I'm a sinner. I have turned from God. I'm obviously, God is upset with me because of this Roman. What are you doing talking to me? And Jesus looks right at these people. And he says, as a rabbi to a bunch of fishermen, follow me. Follow me. This is what rabbis would say to young potentials. Come and follow me. When they heard that, they're like, oh my word, I could have a different future. Oh my word, I could have something better. Oh my word, I could matter. Oh my word, I could go do something, be something, be a part of something. He just said the kingdom of heaven. That sounds better than the kingdom of Rome. He said, repent. He's drawing me near. God's been pushing me away. He says, follow me. Whoa. Come and follow me. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Peter goes, oh, that sounds good. He went fishing for fishermen. Follow me. The hook goes in. And then he says this, and this phrase that he's about to say is a commentary on spiritual depth. Here is what depth, maturity, and a life with me will look like. Look what he does. He says, I will turn you into. Follow me, and then I will change your life and turn you into something different. Think of who he's saying this to. I will turn you into something. Oh, man, I want to be turned into something. I want to be turned, man. I got rejected from the educational system. I'm living in this thing. Man, will you turn me into something else? Because what I am right now is a no one from nowhere with no future and no job and no love and no respect. And man, if I follow you and you talk about a kingdom and you talk about goodness, man, you're going to turn me into that? Okay, you're going to turn me into something. And in that moment, they're just going, he's going to turn you, turn me into you, turn me into something. He's going to turn me, change me, change whatever, whatever it is. And then he says this phrase, and this is so amazing that he says this. He says, and I'm going to turn you into, look at it. He says, really smart people. Good, that's a church joke. We have church people here that need to joke and laugh about that. Because you know that he didn't say, I'm going to turn you into a bunch of really smart people. And there are some people. And we're going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks. That believed that Jesus' whole plan was that we would follow him and turn into a bunch of really smart people. But he didn't say that. That was just a church joke. He actually said this. Workers of miracles. That was another joke. He didn't say that. He didn't say he would turn him into workers of miracles. You know, there are some people who believe with all of their heart that the full expression, full throttle, sixth gear, life Following Christ means miracle worker. 
It might be like this, big faith, raising from the dead, healing people, experiencing, feeling the Holy Spirit. Man, when we really get to know God, then big, crazy, bold stuff is gonna happen. And I have lived in a world where people go, you know, have you raised anybody from the dead? And I go, no. And they go, well, that's not very deep. And I go, I'm not deep. I don't raise, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Um, yes. Maybe like the downgrade version apparently. I don't, I don't know. Like, help me. I will turn you into fishers of people. Two people that had spent 10 years learning how to fish for fish. I'm going to transform your life. You are going to follow me, and in the process, I will see you go through metamorphosis. I will see you transform into someone who fishes for people. Do you see what this is? The next part after this, you know what it says? They dropped their nets and followed him. I.e., in other words, they got caught. They were in a trap. The most beautiful, refreshing, non-invasive opportunity for a better life showed up in their darkness, told them something that was true and wonderful and painted a picture of vision for them. And they said, I'm in. And he said, what I just did for you you need to spend the rest of your life doing for other people. That's the goal. And then they dropped their nets and they followed them. And the, can you imagine like the, just the feeling of these guys? Like I'm sure like as they like walked by the, the tax collector looking for fish, if they didn't have a bunch of fish, Jesus just like was like, hey, Roman guard, look over there. And then poof, there was a bunch of fish. He's like, I got this one, guys. You can get the next one. Because he took them out of there. Now, now, here's the part I want to break down for you because I just want to like, I want to get all on the same page. And there's, there's a progression here that's outlined in this passage we just looked at that often gets confused and misconstrued. And, and there's emphasis put improperly on different parts. So I want to break it down. Here's basically what Jesus said in three words. Come and follow me, which is a decision. Come and follow me. Do you decide to follow Jesus? And for some of you, you decided to follow Jesus. You made a choice. Now, I'm not saying that when you start to follow Jesus, you always place your eternal faith in him, and there's a moment where that's really important, but at some point, you make this decision to follow Jesus. You make this decision, and maybe it was in a plane, or maybe it's this morning, or whatever it is, and then when you decide, you grow. You learn. Jesus left, and then in the next chapter, he, he did the greatest sermon of all time called the Sermon on the Mount. And the disciples were like, oh man, we, I know how to fish. What is he talking about? And it says that he sat down and he taught them, which was totally different for a rabbi because rabbis usually would stand up and wave their hand and make a bunch of noise and say, look at me and listen to me. And Jesus calmly sits and teaches and does something totally different. And the, the fishermen are like, this is so different Blessed are the poor, what? And Jesus starts to describe the kingdom of God. We join that, that kingdom. They went through a process of learning and growing. Jesus went and healed people. They watched those experiences. He sent them out to do crazy stuff. He taught them what it means to be born again and taught their leaders that, and they were around for that. 
He sat with them and taught them amazing things at the Last Supper, and they went through this amazing experience. And then after that, Jesus died, and he rose from the dead, and he went right back after he had risen from the dead. He shows up on a beach because all these fishermen grew a little bit, but then they ran away from him, and Jesus shows up again on the banks of the sea. And he calls Peter, and he calls Andrew, and he says, do you love me? And they say yes, and he says, go feed my sheep, or go and catch people. Jesus ended where he started. Jesus started with, come follow me, I'll turn you into fishers of men. Follow me, learn, grow, this, that, all these different things. Then all that growing and all of that learning and all that stuff, when he died, didn't really help. Then he rose from the dead and they're like, okay, maybe a lot of that is true. And then he said, remember what I told you at the very beginning? You need to go do that for the rest of your life. Decide, grow, catch Repeat. And so what that means for you and me is that we're supposed to go on this journey where we go, we're going to go back to the beginning every single time. Because my burden is here. My burden is catching. But here's where the problem is, and this is the part that I see, and this is my explanation of why this gets so confusing and why we lose sight and why we stop caring about what God cares about is we get caught up in this part, growth. And over the next two weeks, I'm gonna talk about this growth thing, how good it is and how scary it can be because, man, it is important. And this is what the disciples went through. They grew, they decided, they grew, they learned, they heard stuff, unbelievable stuff. When you think about Matthew 4, there was so much stuff that Jesus said. You know that John, who was also a follower of Jesus, that he said, that Jesus did so many things, just get this for a second, Jesus did so many things that if all the books in all the world wrote about him, basically there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain all the things that he did. You know what that means? That means that Matthew, who didn't uh, see or hear when Jesus called these first disciples as fishermen, he was a little bit later, but he heard about it firsthand from the guys that got called, that he watched Jesus do so many things and he decided to put this part in the scriptures. He decided to say, I'm gonna tell that story. When Jesus went to Galilee and he said to those disciples, come and follow me and I will turn you into fishers of people. And so what happens is it's like, he decided what to tell us is important and then they all grew and they went on this journey of growing but what happens for you and me and what I see in the church and what I think needs to change dramatically is that we get caught up in this, that the goal can be growth. That we just gotta, I gotta grow, I wanna learn, I gotta learn something more, tell me something more, fill my brain up, give me a better experience. And, and never actually talk about the goal. And some of us are in here today, this is our burden. This is our burden, I wanna grow. You feel better when you learn something. You feel better when you experience something. You think, I just grew. I just hit the target. I just hit the goal. I grew today because I learned something, because I felt something. Let's just put this in context. Growth is great and necessary. You have to grow. But if your 
goal is growth, you are missing depth because that's not deep. The goal has never been and never will be just so that you grow and learn and experience something. It's never going to be the goal. It never has been and it never will be. And so you and I have to take a step back and go like, do I care about what God cares about? Like, do I exist to do what Jesus said to do? Or somehow did I get caught up into the process? And did I glorify the process? And did I hang a mantle of myself as a process that is to be glorified? Man, we're supposed to grow, the scriptures say, in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. We're supposed to grow. It's great. But Jesus didn't say, just grow so that you can grow and then grow some more. Keep growing. Keep on doing it. He said this, and this needs to be crystallized in our minds forever. The goal is reaching not ourselves, not making ourselves feel better, not doing what we want to do. The goal of faith, which is actual spiritual depth, is reaching people. People. Reaching people and helping people. Reaching people and helping people with a message that will change their life and with hands that can provide healing and comfort in the midst of people's brokenness. That is the goal. Come and follow me and I will take all of your fishing time and turn it into fishing for men and then you will reach them. You will go into their space the way I came into your space and they will be in darkness and they will be under oppression and they will need help and they will feel like God doesn't love them and you exist to go and fish them out of that. I'm not joking you that a week ago, yesterday, uh, my son, our son Kellen, got excited about fishing. We were at the lake, and I don't know anything about fishing. I mean, if you know me, I dis- you know, fishing annoys me. It's dirty. Just stop there. It's dirty. There's worms. I mean, like, but he got this, he got this fishing pole out, and it, ha- it wasn't this kind. This is the kind we bought... But he, he had the kind that flipped over and you had to like hold the line. I'd never seen like that. And he was trying to throw the line out. And he's like, Dad, will you come help me? And I was like, hey, DJ, cousin, will you help him? Because I didn't know how to do it. But then like it wasn't working and, and, and he was frustrated and he's closer to me. So I learned how to cast the, the line with a different kind. And then, and then two days later, we went to the store and we bought this fishing rod. And we bought one for him and we bought this tackle box. And I've never done this before. Like, I don't fish. Fishing irritates me. I'm like, dude, I, I'm standing here. Can we run around the lake? I don't know. Like, like, like it, I, just not me, but like my son wants to do it. So I'm like, okay, like I want to catch him. Okay, that's another stop topic. So like I'm doing what he wants me to do and I'm trying to get in his world. So I'm like, let's do this. And we went and we bought stuff, weights and bobs and lures. I don't know. All these words, and like we put them in here, and then like we went and we did this, and like we, we went to the pond in our neighborhood. And, and as soon as we got there, his fishing rod had broke. I don't even know how they work when they're not broken. So then I'm like trying to put this thing back together. And like by it breaking, I put it back together and learned how it worked. Because I couldn't figure it out. And I'm like, 
okay, so then you press this, oh, you gotta tighten this and this, and it goes like this, and, and then I was like, okay, let me try this, and I did it, and I threw a line out there, and he grabbed the fishing pole from me, and he started to reel it in. This is the first time that he fished with this new pole. He started to reel it in, and he's just doing it, and I'm like, I'm like buddy, it just takes a long time, like, you know, you, know, you you might not catch something the first time. And, and, and I am not joking you. I can't make this up. Something starts to tug on the line. And I'm like, well, that's just algae or a stick or, you know, I'm like, just keep, just keep going. And then like he does this thing and he's reeling it in. And I kid you not, he pulled a fish out of the water the first time ever he reeled in a hook. It was the funniest, coolest thing ever. I'm like, oh man, the rest is a disappointment from here because this probably won't happen for 15 days. And you might quit before that. But I was just like, buddy, you caught a fish. And as soon as he caught a fish, as soon as he did, I took out my phone and I took this picture. You know why? What am I missing? Oh, no, 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 yeah, it got in his mouth and then wrapped around him a bunch. I mean, he caught the sucker. It was like he caught it, jumped in the water, hogtied it, and pulled it out. I took a picture of this because when he started a week ago, we, we didn't do that just to to learn to fish. We didn't just go through this process. I didn't take a picture of when he first threw the line in the week before, and I didn't take a picture when he bought his first tackle box, and I didn't take a picture when he got his pole, and I didn't take a picture when he put on the bait, and I didn't take a picture of any of that, but I took a picture of him catching a fish because that was why we did it. And in life and in our faith, What should happen is we should have a clear goal of all the process. Why are we doing this? Why am I learning how to fish? Why am I with my son? Why am I buying stuff? Why am I doing all this? All for this. And then what should happen is you should take pictures and you should celebrate. The goal should be celebrated. This morning we had a baptism. Is there a more celebratory moment in our church? No, because that's why we do what we do. We don't exist to just go through a process. We exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And we celebrate that. And my question for you is, is this goal your dream? What is your burden? Why are you here What are you learning for? What are you chasing after? Are you doing it for you? Are you doing it for the process? Do you want to play church? Or do you want to accomplish the goal and the mission that Jesus Christ set out when he first started his church? Reaching people. Fishing for people. Catching people. Leading people. Helping people. People come up to me And they say to me, I want to go deeper. And then I run and hide. But there are some people, some people, and some of you are in this room, who come up to me and say this. 
If we don't start reaching more people, I'm going somewhere that does. Now, that hasn't happened that much. For the, but for the people that embody that, they're called the 514 Church staff. Because I am looking for not just a staff, I'm looking for a group of people that are compelled by the mission and the leadership of Jesus to exist, to help and reach people. That is deep. That is faith expressed fully. Last week, someone came to this church for the first time. And one of the things you can hear from this is, you know, Joel, how do I do that? You know, you're a pastor. You're educated. You've thought about this more. How do I do that? There are so many ways we're going to help you do this over the next couple months. You do not have to be an expert. Look at this story. Kellen caught a fish on the first time just because he wanted to. The question is, do you want to? Do you really want to? And as a church, we've decided that we want to. We want to catch people. We want to help people. We want to do that. And this girl came, and she said to me, you know, I just was looking on YouTube, and I found your, your dandy videos. If you don't know, dandy is our comedy team that just exists to make people laugh because we actually think that the laughter is really serious. Mainly because people are hurting and God says that laughter is a good medicine. Isn't that weird? That maybe the most lightning, wonderful experience that earth has to offer, laughter, that God could use it to change someone's heart? That's a weird thought. And she laughed, and then she started watching other sermons. She said, I watched three of your series. And she said, I grew up in the church. And it chewed me up and spit me out. And I've ran away from God. And I wasn't going to come back. And I didn't want anything to do with it. But I listened to you talk. And I listened to your church, and I, I laughed. And she said this to me in no uncertain terms. I am really struggling and this place helps me so much. That's deep. And that's not just me. That can be every one of us, and it is so many of us. But we have to ask hard questions. And we have to go humbly before God and let him adjust our goal to his goal. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack this further. Please join me. My heart and soul is going into this series. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your love being defined not by your power, not by your knowledge, but by your fishing of me. God, the reason you matter to me is not because you're powerful and you're big and you know everything. It's because you talk to me in my language and you love me. And you told me to go do that. Change us, God. Help us celebrate what you want celebrated. Help us aim for what you want aimed. Take our burden, take our heart, take our passion. Move it outside of our chest. Put it into other people's lives and minds and hearts. 
Help us to reach our neighbors, our coworkers, and our family. In Jesus' name, amen.